a few years ago, when we had our old church building, many of you remember the old church building, we had our offices there, and so that's where we would all meet to work, and this specific morning, I was excited for my lunch. So I had my lunch, I had meatballs, and then not just meatballs like from the freezer, I'm talking homemade, like really good, penne, you know, I'm excited about it. So I packaged my lunch up, I was really excited to have it whenever I ate lunch that day. So as I walk in, if you remember the old church, you would remember the cafe. If you remember the cafe, you would remember the refrigerator in the cafe. The refrigerator in the cafe was always full. With, you would open the fridge and there'd be like so many things in there, you'd be like, well, that's been in there for six weeks. You'd look at the garbage can, you'd think, well, if I throw it out, it's going to smell, so we'll just keep the refrigerator, and you would shut it. And so, because of that, it was so packed out, and I, I went to go bring my lunch, and I opened the thing, and there's like a bowl of fruit, there's like a soda bottle, there's half-eating food, there's a Tupperware, which I'm not going to even open that, I don't even, that's been in there for years, you know? So I'm like, that's not my problem that someone else is. I'm just going to put my lunch down and go my merry way. And so I go to put my lunch and I decide, you know, I'll put it on the plastic bowl of fruit. That seems like a reasonable spot to put it. And as I put it on there, it falls, smashes on the ground, meatballs everywhere, sauce on my shoes. And I, I was excited. These are my hopes and dreams for my lunch. It's just shattered on the ground. And I look at it and I'm like, no, like I'm so angry. And I look up and I could have swore I heard the bowl of fruit laugh. Like, it's an inanimate object, but I heard a laugh. And immediately, I get angry, and I grab the bowl, and I rip it out of the fridge. I look to the left. The garbage can's there. I'm going to slam dunk this thing, I think. So I go to slam dunk it into the garbage can, and here's the thing. The garbage can, we had a little flippy top on it. You know what I'm talking about? The little flippy. Someone went to go throw something out earlier, and it was stuck upwards. So it was kind of like hitting a brick wall. And so I slammed the bowl of fruit into the garbage, but it didn't go in. It blew up all over the cafe. There's fruit. There's grapes. There's strawberries. I ended up on my knees. I don't know how that happened. I'm just sitting in the sauce, meatballs, and fruit salad I've created and wondering about my sick, pitiful life at this point. It's a low point. And at that point, Joey Lucci opens the door. and He's like, hey, man, oh, like... What's happening in here? And what he witnessed was my frustration making things worse. Um, we all know that frustration is something we see. Maybe you've been driving on the road and you saw, you know, someone just like kind of really upset in their car. That was me the other day. I saw someone freaking out. And I'm like, oh, that looks funny. And it looks funny when it's not you. But to be fair to that man, whoever he was, a few years back on my way to church, I was driving and there was a lot of traffic. I was a little late. And there was a man driving and, and here's what I'm going to say. He was driving a BMW. And here at the Living Word Church, if you own a BMW, I just assume you're a great driver because you were here this morning. You were fantastic. Um, but you may not be aware that there are some stereotypes about BMW drivers. They tend to, when they buy their car, they get the no, the no taillights, I'm sorry, the no blinkers and tailgating package. That's the package they get. The no blinkers, tailgating package, that's the package they usually get. And so they're NASCAR in their way through, and this one kid was NASCAR in his way through, and that just made me frustrated. I hate watching people tailgate others. And so here I am watching this man tailgate someone, and I think, I'm going to give him a look. I'm going to give him a look, and he's going to realize it must be my driving, so therefore, I will stop driving terribly. Dumb thought to have when you live on Long Island. So I'm trying to make eye contact with him. I'm trying to like give him the look, like stop that, like a parent would to a kid. And I'm about to meet eyes with this man, and I'm ready for it. And then I look up, there's a car stopped in front of me. I jam my brakes, hit the car. So here's what I learned. You can never change a BMW driver's driving. No, no, what I learned was that my frustration, right, it created a little bit more of a mess. 
And see, here's what we need to realize, that our response to when we get frustrated or when we get angry, see, it matters. And this is why in Ephesians 4.26, it says, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. And what does that tell me? It tells me there's two types of anger. There's righteous anger, anger where maybe you see someone getting taken advantage of. You see a situation that should not be. And because of that, you righteously feel anger, and then it leads to a decision or a choice to change that. But more commonly, the anger that you and I are acquainted with is the anger in which where we sin, where we can create a mess, where something was one way, but then because of how we felt or what happened, we made it worst. One is a catalyst that cleans up a mess, that's righteous anger, and the other one might be a catalyst for it or one that creates a mess. And the problem in our, with us here today is that in our culture, we can get bothered really easily. We can get bothered really easily. I don't know about you, but for me, things like make me upset. Like a computer was created to serve me. When the computer doesn't serve me anymore, I get frustrated. Like this should have took 15 minutes. What's going on? You know, when a task take, that should take 15 minutes takes two and a half hours, I get angry. Like I'm frustrated. I'm like, why? This should have been 15 minutes and the, my tools aren't working or this isn't working. It gets me frustrated. And, and here's what I'm going to admit. And hopefully this isn't true for you and I'm just a mess. But um, there is a dent in my toaster upstairs. Here's why. It burnt my Echo waffles twice in a row. And I karate chopped. Like this is just, this is, it's funny because it's so messed up. And if I'm getting bothered at a toaster, and, and maybe you resound with that, maybe there's something that, that has bothered you that you just acted, you know, and to be fair to, the, to me and the toaster, like I put the, the dial in between the, the burnt toast and the regular toast, and it, what, what's going on? So anyway, um, <laughs> it's pretty messed up. See, it doesn't look good on us. If someone were to walk in and watch that, it doesn't look good, but most importantly, it doesn't do good for us. And here's what I'm thinking about. You know, Steph and I, we've been married for two years, and eventually we want to have kids. Yes, we will. Stop asking. <laughs> we will one day. But uh, I don't want to pass down my frustration to my kids, you know? And so this is something that I personally was like, you know what, let me just look up a whole bunch of verses on anger. And so I looked up a whole bunch of verses, just kind of typed in verses on anger, and the first ones that I found that kind of resounded with my heart, I just grabbed. There was no particular order. As I began studying the scriptures and looking at them, trying to memorize them, I realized that there was a common theme, that there was a pattern that went through all of those scriptures. And so I want to share them with you real quickly. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is hasty exalts folly. James 1, chapter 1 says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 9 says, Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosoms of fools. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit is better than one who can take a city. And Proverbs 15.18 says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. And so what I began to see is that the speed at which you and I arrive at anger matters, right? The speed at which we get there. And, and maybe you know what I'm talking about because maybe you've seen that friend that has gone from zero to 100 immediately. They just lost their cool 
We got, got so angry. And see, when you get kind of in that spot, you, we can get intoxicated with rage where, where truth, understanding kind of goes out the window. And they arrived at anger too soon to realize that it was a misunderstanding. Maybe that resounds with you. Maybe you're thinking of a time in your life where, man, you got so frustrated. And then when the dust settled, you realized, oh, I thought that it was this. And this wasn't a catalyst to be angry. You know, we all kind of come to that point. And here's the thing. If we were to look in the mirror, we would see that we're angry. Like, have you ever done that? You're just angry. You walk in the bathroom. You stare at yourself in the mirror. Now, you're angry in that moment, but there's part of you that's like, that looks funny. You know, you could see it. You see, like, oh, I'm, for me, I'm sweaty. Like, there's, you know, I have a disgruntled look in my face, right? You can see anger very clearly. You can see it on others. You can see it in yourself. And see, here's what I want to talk about, because had I just took an, taken a second, like the Bible says, see, the Bible says, listen, slow down your pace when it comes to anger. So if, that if anger was a destination that you can map out on a map, take the scenic route. Take your time. Why? Because there's some practical advice here this morning that when we slow ourselves down, we have more time to see clearly. We have more time to not react out of impulse, but out of truth. If I had done that, I would have been covered in fruit that morning that I was excited about my lunch, right? Like smashing it got all over me, right? If I just gave it a moment, took some time to arrive at anger instead of bugattying my way there, right? If I just took slower time, it would have changed things. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, well, Andrew, I think I know what we're talking about here. We're talking about anger today. And here's what I'll say. I'm saying not entirely because anger is a symptom of something a lot bigger. See, we a lot of times try to deal with symptoms and instead of the root cause. But if we dealt with the root cause, then maybe we would see breakthrough. And maybe this is the reason why we're not seeing breakthrough in our frustration or our lives because there's something bigger that if anger was a cord that I could trace back to a wall, it would be plugged into something bigger. See, again, we could see anger in the mirror, but this thing we can't. And so as I was looking through scriptures, trying to deal with my anger, I found this one that made so much sense. And as we're discussing our issue here this morning, I want to share it with you. It's Proverbs thirteen ten. It says, where there is strife, let's just stop there for a second. Where there is strife, where there is a relational issue, where there is a mess, where there is frustration, where there's a conflict, where there is strife, look what it says next. There is pride. Where there is strife, there is pride. And so at the end of the cord of anger, we see that the source of that anger can be my pride and your pride. See, if you look in the mirror this morning, and I hope some of you have done that, like I have, I'm just kind of doing my hair. Ladies, you're doing your makeup, got it just right. Men, you're seeing some of the smudge in your beard. You're like, oh, I gotta get that off, right? But if we look in the mirror, we can't always see our pride. If anything, I'm like, dang, I'm looking pretty fly today. You know, I'm ready to speak, right? We can look in the mirror of our hearts and not necessarily see the pride that is existent there. And if we were to take like an anger inventory, like when you get frustrated, when you get anger, angry, and you were to ask the question, why am I angry? This is what I began doing. I tried to psychoanalyze myself. Why am I angry? I would realize that there's a couple of things that are true. One, something I wanted to happen, it didn't. Two, my thoughts or what I wanted to happen or my, I, maybe I weighed in on something and, and my thoughts were ignored. My advice was not taken, right? 
Or three, someone is operating in a way that I wish they wouldn't. And really what that boils down to is my will is not being done. Your will is not being done when we get frustrated. And in my experience of ministry, I've seen adults, right? And and we're all adults here, most of us. And and we can grow up and we can pay the bills and we can work a job and we can take care of the kids and we can do a lot of great adult-like things. But sometimes you and I can act like a child. Because when I don't get my way, I get angry. So do you. And if I'm honest, if I'm frustrated with my wife or I'm frustrated with my friends, it usually comes back to the fact that my will is not being done. And I have to ask myself and ourselves a follow-up question. What makes my will better than their will? What makes my way, in my mind, better than their way? Could it be this morning, it's my pride, and it's yours. Because pride says this, that I'm better than you. Pride says my way is right. Pride says I'm more informed, and therefore, since I'm all of those things, I'm greater than you. That's what pride says. And here's the truth, that, that you actually might be right. Like, your way actually might be right in a lot of situations. Some people are very awkwardly wrong, but you might actually be right here. But we need to realize that often our superiority complex kind of burns bridges in the spirit of being right. I wonder how many failed marriages or friendships exist because someone wanted to be right. See, it's all about how we display it. It's all about the spirit in which we speak it. And so today we we see in, in Proverbs, there are six things that God says he hates in Proverbs. And the first thing he says is pride. Because all loving God who desires to be close to his creation sees that you and I, through pride, hurt one another. We get jealous. See, pride thinks I'm good. Uh, I'm the greatest. I deserve everything. So what do I do? I think I'm entitled to certain things and I cause conflict. Likewise, same with you, that God sees that pride destroys our lives. And he hates that sin because he loves us. Like a, like a father would watch a child hurt themselves. Like, like, that's, like he wouldn't, a father wouldn't want that. But likewise, God And this is why it's important we talk about this, because maybe this is the source of a lot of the conflict. Maybe this is why we have a lot of relationship issues, estranged friendships. Maybe you have gone from church to church or job to job or friend group to friend group, always saying that I'm the victim here. But what if this morning we we begin to look in the mirror and we begin to look harder and say, hey God, is, is there something going on with my pride? Because anger management goes so far blaming others can only go so far. Today we need something more. If you're not a Christian here this morning or you're coming back to church or you're new to church, man, we're excited you're here and I hope you see that like we're just people who are trying our best and who need Jesus. And as we go through this thing, I hope you realize something that anger, pride, is not just a Christian issue, it's a, it's a human issue. And as we look through the scriptures, I hope you would see that Jesus' solutions to some of the things we're gonna talk about here are really awesome and that he is for you. And so we're going to be in John chapter 13 this morning. And this is the Last Supper. And this is important because this is Jesus' last teachable moment with his disciples before he goes to the cross. So argumentably, what is said here is really important. That this should be something that we hold really high on our values when it comes to the Christian faith. And a lot of it has to do, and I think is the solution to our anger and our pride. And so we're going to be in John 13, chapter 13. Let's set the scene here. Now, before the feast of the Passover, 
Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. And so let's set the scene of what's going on here. This is during the holidays. This is a happy time. That the nation is, is getting ready for Passover. And so think of it for us. It would be like around like November, like Thanksgiving, Christmas is coming. Like that's the, the vibe in the air. But Jesus' heart is heavy. Mark Driscoll, he, remind, he talks about this verse in this way. He says, imagine that you were Jesus. You were healthy. You had one week to live, though. All because a pretend friend was going to betray you for a few hundred dollars. This is someone you loved. This is someone you cared for. This is someone you were very generous to. Again, there was love here. And the Bible talks about that Judas made his choice and that the devil, the devil didn't make him do it, but he just went along with the choice that Judas already made. And so here, picture yourself, Jesus, you were heavy hearted that a close friend, someone you loved is about to betray you. And that's what's happening during this feast. And verse three, it says this, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from the supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel which with he was girded. And do you ever think about this story? Maybe you've heard this story before in church. But do you ever think, like, was there anything that prompted Jesus to do that? Or was he just sitting at the supper and he looks up at the clock and says, oh, it's 7.30, it's time for a lesson. Like, was there something, was that on the agenda for the night? Was there anything that could have led to that decision of washing the disciples' feet? Well, we see in Luke 22, we see there's four gospel writers and they all talk about the, the Last Supper from their point of view. And there was something really cool in Luke 22, I think that adds to this discussion. It says this, and there arose also a dispute among them that is the disciples, as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. And so here it is. We see pride rearing its head. See, commentators, they speculate that it might be this conversation that led to Jesus just getting up in the middle of them arguing and starting to wash their feet. And again, let's set the, tape, the scene that Jesus is heavy-hearted. He's repeatedly told his disciples, listen, I'm going to be taken, I'm going to be put on a cross, I'm going to die. Someone's going to betray me. Like, there's a lot of talk of that, and the disciples are concerned with their status, how great they are. That's like you admit to a friend some deep hurt, and then they start talking about themselves. That hurts, right? And so that's what we see, them trying to fight for their status. I think about us today, that in our culture, the world teaches us that status matters. Like, celebrities, they, they get front row seats, CEOs, they, 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 drive, they, they drive, they fly first class, you know? And we're taught that the great people be served. That if you're great in this world, you're gonna be served. Oh, it's you, come on in, right? That's what our world teaches us. And so it, it, we kind of look at the Instagram highlights of all this and we kind of say, oh, okay, well, and then we begin to compare ourselves with ourselves. Oh, well, I do this, I do that. Wow, I must be great. And if I believe that I'm truly great in of myself, then I'm going to expect that you do my will. And if you don't do my will, well, then I'm going to get angry. And that is pride. That is pride. 
And what we also need to understand here today is maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know, Andrew, that's great. Like, okay, but Andrew, when I look in the mirror, I, I don't see myself as great. Like, I understand we're talking about pride and people thinking they're great, but when I look in the mirror, I just see a failure. I just see someone who's not good enough. And here's what I want to say to you is that pride exists in many forms. Pride also can show itself as deep insecurity this morning. And see, we often, when we look in the mirror, we don't see this. We think, oh, I'm good. I don't have pride in my heart and my life. It's not affecting my life. But insecurity unchecked is still being obsessed with our image. And the result is this. When people don't agree with us or, or people you know, don't choose our way or don't follow our advice, right? we can take it as a judgment. Like, yes, that does prove that I'm not good enough. And that can also make us angry. Do we see how pride can exist and complicate everything? Maybe there was a fight that happened. Maybe there was someone you were talking to and you just lost your cool, right? And, and you caused a rift. Maybe that was you. Maybe someone in your life um, said something that hurts you and now you guys don't speak anymore. And see, what often happens is we don't apologize because we think our anger is justified. Like, like oh, well, they made me mad. That's why I did that. that that's that's that what's how, we, how most people deal with that because they violated our greatness, because again, if I think I'm great, then any way you treat me, well, th then that means that you, you're in the wrong, not me. And so if I got mad at you, well, a lot of times we justify, well, they may be mad. Or the second thing is maybe someone has hurt you, right? And you're like, I'm not going to try to mend that relationship. How dare they treat me like that? Often that's what happens. And here's what we need to realize. That anger may have caused a rift, but pride is the reason there still is a distance. Whew. That hurts, but it's so true, isn't it? That anger may have caused a rift, but the rift is done. That moment has passed. What, the reason why there's still a distance is because of pride. And see, some of us, we think we're great, and what we say is great, and what we do is great. But if we look in the mirror, we're not able to see the damage that we're actually causing everybody around us. See, when we fight to uphold our greatness, we're unable to see pride, and we hurt those around us. I think about... Home Alone 1. How many of you like Home Alone 1? We heard a laugh and there's a lot of hands. Okay. Um, Home Alone 1 is like one of my favorite movies to watch around Christmas time. Um, it's great. And there's a character in that movie called Old Man Marley. That's, that's Kevin McAllister's next door neighbor. And Kevin is afraid of this man, but he ends up being a good guy. And so we see him in, in another scene in, in the church and they meet and they're talking about their families. Kevin is talking about his family and old man Marley's talking about his. And, and it comes up that old man Marley says that he had an argument with his son once upon a time. They both said they cared not to speak to each other anymore. And, and now they don't. They stood by that. And Kevin, the innocent kid, will goes, well, why don't you just call him? He goes, no matter how much I'm mad at my dad, I always call him. You know, I always talk to him, you know. And, and as adults, we're like, well, <laughs> Kevin, it's a little more complicated than that, buddy. And that's basically the response that old man Marley gives. But sometimes, isn't it the innocent things in life that often might be the right answer? Isn't it true that our pride can complicate things? And, and what I'm trying to say is some of us today need to pick up the phone, have that hard conversation. You know, and I love the ending of that movie. Like, Kevin McAllister comes home, his family's reunited, you know, it's snowing, it's Christmas morning, and na, 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 you know, it's playing, and you look out the window, and what do you see? You see old man Marley hugging his family because he made that call. And here's the thing, today, 
maybe the movie script ending isn't in the cards for us. But I think what we need to realize is this, is that anger may have built a wall, but it's pride that cements it in. And some of us, we need to start doing something. And do we see how pride can be the source of conflict in our lives? Because our struggle with pride starts with our minds and our hearts. And Jesus knew this. He saw the disciples fighting about their greatness. And so he begins to get up and he begins to wash their feet. And here's what we need to understand about washing feet. That it was reserved for the lowest servant. Like there were servants out there that could build things. There were servants out there that could cook. It's almost like they would look around and be like, all right, that's Timothy. He can't cook to save his life. He burns water, so we're going to put him on washing feet duty. Like, like it was the lowest servant. Like, he has no ability to do anything he's going to do. feet. And here we have Jesus coming in and washing his disciples' feet. And one thing we have to highlight here this morning is that Jesus went around the table and he washed Judas's feet. And what does that say to you and me? See, it sets a precedent that service or servitude isn't based off of merit. But it's based off of love. Let's contrast this with us. See, we justify our enemy's behavior as the reason to not love them or not serve them. Well, they did that, so I definitely won't. And and here's what we're not saying here today. We're not saying in an abusive situation or a really high intense situation that you open yourself back up to that. That's something that needs individual wisdom. But what I'm really more or less talking about here this morning is the day-to-day stuff. The stuff that we all are used to. The he said, she said. The he did, she did, right? The pride that keeps that distance because we are unable to try to understand where someone is coming from. The pride that says, I'm going to build a wall. But Christian, this morning, Jesus washed the feet of his betrayer. And yet you're unwilling to speak to someone? Unwilling to admit you might have been wrong? Unwilling to try and see where they were coming from? Even if it's something you don't agree with? Maybe you don't get it? But understanding or, or even just having the heart to forgive somebody? And so Jesus is showing us what this looks like. And he gets down, he finishes washing their feet, and he sits down, and he begins to explain to them what this was about. So John 13, verse 12, it says, So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I, then the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Here we have Jesus in the flesh. Created all things. The source of the very air that they breathe, the disciples. He had every right to be served. Every right to demand their full attention always, right? But here he is serving and loving and washing feet. In Luke 22, 25, it says, this, the conversation continues. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors. So he's saying that there's kings and there's people in power and they have a name. They're benefactors, that everyone knows that. So he's talking about what happened, what's happening in that culture. But look what it says in verse 26. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, And the leader, like the servant, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. He's saying the world will say, the person sitting at the table matters. 
But Jesus is saying, I am the one who, who serves instead of sits at the table. And what he reminds us is this, that Christian today, that Jesus says that kings may operate with power and pride, but it is not this way with you. It is not this way with me. That's not how it should be. He humbled himself, he loved, and he served. And see, this goes completely against how we are wired, but we need to understand something. Maybe the reason why we have so much conflict is because our expectations are rooted in pride. That I can have a heart that defaults to, I want you to serve me instead of me to serve, you know what I mean? Me to serve someone else. Like, and Jesus senses this, knows this, and begins to turn the way we do things on our heads. And he, he reminds us as at the one, the last supper I mean, he reminds them that it is greater to serve than to be served. And see, there's one thing that we fail to talk about this whole meal. And I think this is the most important key that will glue everything that we've been talking about together here. Jesus when he went around the table, we forgot, forgot to talk about how he dealt with Peter. Now, Peter was the outspoken of the disciples. I'd imagine I probably would be like Peter, um, just always yapping and whatever, get myself in trouble. Um, that's who Peter was. And when Jesus goes up to Peter, Peter looks at him and goes, Lord, you want to you wash my feet? Like He's, he's thinking, like, God, you're God. Like You're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, listen, what I am doing now, what I am doing now, you may not understand. You'll get it later. And Peter goes, never shall you wash my feet. And, and though his intentions were good, his heart was in the right place, he, he told God what to do. That's always an awkward thing, right? And Jesus responds and says this. He answers him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And see, what does this say? This says that there was something bigger at play. That Jesus knew what was happening. Jesus commanded his destiny. He knew he was going to that cross. And when he went there, he died for my sin and your sin. He died for my pride and your pride. And argumentably, isn't it the pride of man that put Jesus on the cross? The Pharisees and the teachers were jealous. They were like, hey, he's getting more attention than us. We don't like this. We're going to put him on the cross. We're going to get rid of him. Jesus died for that sin. And so we need to realize that the metaphor of Jesus washing feet and serving others, right, doesn't stop there. But it, it stops at the fact that we also need to let Christ wash us. Because the truth here this morning is I can't rid myself of pride. I can't rid myself of sin. But we have a Savior who has done that for us. And the practical parts of this message all hinge on Jesus' blood washing me of sin and you of sin and then empowering us to serve. See, this isn't natural to my heart. It's not natural to yours, but we need to lean into what Jesus is saying and doing. And here's what I want us to get. Where, where pride seeks to kill and destroy, we need to realize that pride ceases when we humbly seek to serve. That's what I want us to grab here this morning. That pride ceases when we humbly seek to serve. The question is, as we wrap up, do we seek to serve others? I know that if I were to wake up in the morning and set my expectation to be a servant, maybe I'd be less angry. Maybe I'd be less offended or hurt, right? Because I would be more aware of what I should be. 
And again, disclaimer, this doesn't mean that we start letting people walk all over us. And we're like, hey, like, take my money, man. Like, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to still operate in wisdom. We don't need to stop being honest with others. But the way we do it changes. We do it from a humble heart. We don't seek to be right as much as we seek to build a bridge because we love that person and we want what's best for them. And so we're going to tell them the truth, but we're going to do it in love. See, we often forget that when we have a mind full of pride. When we feel anger rising up in us, man, we're going to try to take that detour. We're going to try to slow it down. We're going to pray, maybe ask God, God, give me clarity in this moment because I am angry. And there's nothing we can do about that sometimes other than stop. Because pride seeks to destroy, but pride ceases when we humbly seek to serve. And so three quick things. How does this play out practically? Some of you note takers, go ahead and write these things down. But the first one is seek to be helpful. The first one is seek to be helpful. Taking the, the, the shift and thinking about yourself and not thinking about yourself. See, that's what we do. It was natural for me to say that. Think about others instead of yourself, right? Seek to be helpful. Maybe instead of gossiping about the boss or about the leadership or about the friend group and, and spreading the issue, maybe seek to be a servant and, and handle the issue. Hey, you know what? I heard this information and instead of just passing along, let me... Let me try to help, you know? Let me try to be a part of the solution. Instead of holding our hurt, seek to be helpful and maybe mend some of those relationships that have been broken, even if it wasn't your fault. I mean, how awesome would that be if we had people putting their pride to the ground and saying, I'm going to seek to be helpful. I wonder how many people would find grace, and the same grace that you and I found from Jesus, right? The second thing is this, is that be humble and be teachable this morning. It's so easy to, you know, realize that, that people are going to hurt you, but we also have to realize something, that I'm a person, you're a person, and we're going to do the same thing. And so if we're humble and we're teachable, this means that we are going to listen to what others have to say, even if we don't agree. We might be open to trying to understand their point of view. And maybe it's not something you would like, but it helps understanding where they're coming from. And see, when someone acts ungracefully towards you, well, we can be the bigger people to break that cycle of ungrace. And let us be that today. And the most important one is, that there is the one we just talked about. It's let Christ wash you. Let Christ wash you. That a humbled life is one that knows that they need a Savior. And this Savior is Jesus. And when we live in light of that, oh man, it changes everything. He empowers us to grow. And we're not going to get everything right. And that's why we need him every day. Keeps our pride in check. And it's good. And that's why we need to keep in mind that pride ceases when we humbly seek to serve. If you're not a Christian here this morning or again you're new to church, I hope you see one thing. That Christ is for you. That if Christ can wash the feet of Judas and go to a cross to show his love for us, then, then there is nothing that you can do to escape his love unless you just run from it. What I'm trying to say is that Christ is for you and I hope that you would see that this is a place you can ask questions. This is a place where you can continue to grow in your faith. And I hope you would put your trust in him today. Man, that we have a humble God who loves his people and longs for us to be close to him. For all of us, faith is a process. It takes time. We're not going to be perfect. But if I keep in mind that I need Jesus and you need Jesus, then I can't judge you and you can't judge me, right? Because we all need him. As brothers and sisters, yes, we hold each other accountable, 
But really when it comes down to it, we all are humbled before the one who is truly great, and that is Jesus. And our best way to act like him and live like him is being a servant. And so what I want us to grab one last time is this, that pride ceases when we humbly seek to serve. Would you guys just pray with me here this morning? Jesus, we thank you, God, that you showed what humility looks like. That you died for undeserving sinners. That you showed us what servitude looks like. When anyone deserved to be served, it was you. You could have set a whole different precedent. You could have showed us that it was all about power and pride, but God, you showed us it's about humility and love. I pray this morning, God, that you would help us See that take place in our heart, God, that when we feel angry, when we feel pride kind of rearing its head in our lives, God, that we would just be given the strength by you to choose a different path, to see victory in our hearts and in our relationships. I pray today that you would close the distance between friends and family members. I pray today that we can lower pride in its grave as you died for that specific sin on the cross as well as every other one that we can struggle with. And God, we thank you that there's power found in you this morning. And that when we seek to be a servant, that it changes everything. And God, we invite you to reach down and touch our hearts, God, and change the very fabric and the way that it beats, God, that we would see you do amazing things in us. And we need you for that. So we invite you to do it. And we just thank you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.